Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, it was a good Saturday night in Hattiesburg. Southern Miss got a big win against North Texas. The rest of, uh, well, Southern Miss, good win. Ole Miss loses on the road to Missouri by 11. And Mississippi State loses on the road to Tennessee in Knoxville in the uh, first game of the day on Saturday. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. You can find branch locations all across North Mississippi. Grab the phone number as well at their website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Bunch to get to with you this afternoon. We've got uh, Major League Baseball continuing today. Game three of the NLCS as the uh, the Cardinals are trying to dig themselves out of a hole down two games to none. Game three between the Yankees and the Astros, series tied at one apiece, coming your way tomorrow. An afternoon game in New York for those two teams. Uh, We'll get into Southern Miss's win against North Texas uh, we'll bounce around the SEC where Georgia loses at home to South Carolina after turning it over four times. That was not great. Uh, LSU, Florida was pretty darn good on Saturday night. Uh, for those of you that were able to watch that one, a heck of an atmosphere and a, uh, a fun game. I watched most of the replay uh, last night, bouncing back and forth between that and the, uh, the Yankees game. Uh, Arkansas uh, looked like they were in good shape to get their first SEC win in a couple of years against Kentucky. But Lynn Bowden and the Kentucky Wildcats had other ideas. Who is Lynn Bowden? Well, he's a slot receiver. He played quarterback in high school, just not at the uh, at the SEC level so far. Uh, we'll get to some stuff from the NFL as well, but obviously lots to talk about with a couple of losses over the weekend for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Borky, we still have no baby, correct? Yeah, it was a well. Frust- by, by the fact that you're here to answer that question, it, it, I know it's <laughs> well, correct. I could just be very committed to my job. You're not that committed. I know that. Okay, okay, you're right. But yeah, no, baby, I'm kind of. It's frustrating now, and in, in a good way because you know we just get built up and and we're told, you know, hey, this happened, and this means that you know it could be hours now before before this thing kicks off, and then it's now been a few days, and so. Uh, just kind of waiting around. I wish that, love our doctor, wish that we wouldn't have been told that, though. But Well, she told you that it was possible that it could be hours right. or it could be so days. Definitely clearly... didn't get lied to, but, uh, I mean, you got to, she's got to know me better. Because I immediately thought, all right, here we go, it's go time. And then Friday, 
comes, and then it's not, and then Saturday comes, and then it's not, and then yesterday it's still not, and today it's not. So I have no idea, but uh, I'm just ready at this point. We are extremely confident that one week from today there will be a baby Borky, as you guys are going in Friday one way or another to uh, have a baby, right? That's it. So Fridays, uh, as a buddy of mine put it, Friday's your last day of life. Nah, it's not true. Not true at all. Doesn't mean that there won't be uh, you. Um... Well, never mind. I'll no, I went to a one-year-old's birthday party on Saturday. A good buddy of mine, and it still looks awesome to me. Like watching that kind of thing, bunch of little kids running around and crying and all that stuff. That just made me more excited about what's coming. I don't know where this idea of well, babies ruin your life because everything I saw at a one-year-old's birthday party made me want it even more. So I think people are just crazy. I agree. And some people think it's cool to say that kids change your life in a bad way forever. It's just not the case. It's just not the case. Hey, Dad, what's up? Happy Monday. Hey, what's going on, guys? Is there any sign of happiness in Bulldog land? There isn't my house. I'm, I'm in a good mood, but, you know, the, the rest Basketball of the season's coming. Baseball is not far off. They had the, they had the fall World Series <laughs> this past weekend. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, not not a great day uh, in for, to be a bulldog uh, coming out of uh, this past weekend for sure. Um, podcasts are out and are available. The Thunder and Lightning podcast. If you want to uh, catch Haydad and Joel Coleman, a uh, pretty uh, lengthy uh, issue edition uh, that came out today. Uh, in which they talk pretty candidly about what they believe is happening surrounding the Mississippi State football program. You can also catch the Rebel Report, hosted by Brian Scott Rippy. Is it riveting today? Yeah, it's the greatest podcast ever. Ever? Yep. Yours Better than mine? Of, of any of all time. The greatest one we've ever done. Okay. okay. Well, there you go. Check out the uh, Rebel Report also wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so before we really take a deep dive into, uh, into the games from Saturday night, let's go high level. Hey, dad, um, Mississippi state goes to Knoxville. They lose by a final of 20 to 10. They made it close in the fourth quarter, became a one score game when it was 13 to 10. Tennessee gets the ball back, uh, pretty methodical drive down the field. And then they, um, uh, have a broken tackle play that goes for 39 yards for a, uh, a touchdown. Caps a nine-play, 91-yard drive, five minutes and 44 seconds. Made it uh, made it 20 to 10, and that turned out to be the final. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, watching that game, I felt 30 again because I was 30 in 2005 when Sylvester Croom was the head coach. That offense was horrific on Saturday. They could not get anything going. Turn turnovers, poor execution. Couldn't block a Tennessee team that had eight sacks in the season coming in, had seven sacks on the day. Nothing, nothing, nothing went right for Mississippi State offensively on uh, on Saturday. Because of the the kickoff time for Ole Miss's game, I was able to sit in the hotel room in uh, in Columbia and watch almost every snap of that game. Um, yeah, I may have flipped a channel away to watch OU Texas for a, a you know a few minutes and then flip back. There was an opportunity because of a couple of turnovers that Tennessee had for Mississippi State to absolutely stay in the game and kind of take away some momentum. The flip side of that is there were also some opportunities for Tennessee to kind of turn that game into a boat race 
Mm-hmm. Neither of those things happened, and frankly, the final score I thought was fairly indicative of the way the game was played. Not real pretty on either side. Both teams made some plays. Both teams made some bad mistakes. But on the whole, Tennessee was better than Mississippi State. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's 100% fair. Like you said, Tennessee had some opportunities, and they threw two interceptions in the end zone. Uh, yeah. So those those could have gone the other way. And for Mississippi State... Uh, some, some, the, both of their, both of Tommy Stevens' interceptions came in plus territory as well. So state was, you know, on the move when those things happened. Just two bad football teams. The bottom half, or maybe not half, but the bottom five or six teams of the SEC this year are just so, so bad. And so, and a couple of them are going to end up going to bowls because it's just the, the nature of, of the scheduling. But yeah, state was just really bad and Tennessee was better than them on, on uh, on Saturday for sure. Um, the only drive that I thought offensively in the game that looked good, competent, and maybe there's another word to describe it, was the the fourth quarter touchdown drive. Uh, It was capped off by Garrett Schrader's touchdown pass to Dedrick Thomas. That was a drive where the, the play calling seemed to make sense. It was crisp. It was fairly quick. I thought I mean, drive goes three and a half minutes, and it it turned into a, a a touchdown, and you're only down a field goal at that point, and you go, well, is there enough momentum? But then defensively, just not able to stop Tennessee at all, and and Tennessee I think got exactly what they wanted out of that last drive where they pushed it back to a ten point game. Yeah, and I thought defensively State played well enough to win overall. Um, you know, obviously they have the the breakdown at the crucial moment, but I think if you, I mean, I predicted Tennessee to score twenty points. I just I had State scoring twenty four. Um, you know, I, I'm what I, I if I'm going to take something away from this game, I think when State has its full complement out there, which they did, the the defense is is good enough. It's not it's not last year. It's not it's not even it may not even be that good, but it's good enough to win some games. Um, but when you don't get anything offensively. Eventually, your defense is going to break, and that's what happened in, in this game. Rippy, high-level look at uh, Ole Miss and Missouri. 38-27, the final. Missouri wins it by 11. The undoing for Ole Miss in this game was the third quarter, where Missouri outscored them 23-7. to There's a lot that happened on Saturday night kind of to unpack when you talk about quarterback rotation and what the defense was able to do and what the running game was able to do against a good Missouri defense. But... At the end of the day, it's a scoreboard game, and Ole Miss comes up 11 short on the scoreboard. Yeah, the game really turned on probably, I'm thinking, of five plays, and four of those were self-inflicted by Ole Miss, and one was probably a little bit of poor fortune, and so they didn't make any, they didn't really make any winning plays. They did some nice things, but that was about it. There were three plays in the game that, or, or three sequences maybe in the game, where it felt like Ole Miss had a great opportunity to put a touchdown on the board, and they had one that was taken off the board, one that they just missed, and then one where they couldn't quite get in the end zone at the end of the uh, first half. We'll unpack that a little bit later this afternoon as well. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. So Tennessee beats Mississippi State 20 to 10. South Carolina in double overtime wins 20 to 17 over Georgia. I don't even think there's debate. That's the biggest win of the career for uh, Will Muschamp, going to his alma mater and getting that win for South Carolina. Alabama 47 to 28 over Texas A&M. 
UNLV beats Vanderbilt by 24, 34 to 10. Vanderbilt was a 14 point favorite in that game. Who? 38 27, Missouri over Ole Miss. Arkansas uh, led for much of the game. They lose 24 20 to Kentucky. And LSU wins 42 28. From a picks standpoint, uh, hey Dad, Rippy, and I all went four and three. We got there in a little bit different manner. And Michael Borky went five and two. He had South Carolina plus the points. They won it outright. He had Vanderbilt, which was a loss. He had Arkansas, Alabama, and LSU all covered the spread. Mississippi State, which did not cover the spread. Uh, hey Dad was the only one to pick Tennessee to cover in that game. And uh, Ole Miss, who covered by 12. Uh, you think Vegas is good? That was a 12-point uh, game. You had two missed extra points by Missouri, one extra point missed by Ole Miss. If college kickers doesn't happen, then that game lands on 12 exactly. Well, the kid was perfect on field goals, and they were all from like 38-plus and out and couldn't make an extra point. He hit the right upright twice in the same game on an extra point try. My guess is if you were trying to do that, it would be hard to do it two times. But that's uh, that's what he did. So, hey, Dad, let's, uh, let's do a little bit of a deep dive on uh, on Mississippi State. Um, kind of looking at the box score to uh, start things out. Tennessee jumped out to an early 7 to nothing lead, 4.56 to go in the first quarter, an 8-play 60-yard drive. Jordan had a 15-yard run. Uh, Jace Chrisman, uh, he got the, uh, the right bounce on the upright, hit the crossbar from 51 yards out, but he got it just deep enough onto the crossbar that it kicked over, made it 7-3. to three. Uh, A couple of field goals from Tennessee, one to end the first half and one at the 6-12 mark of the third quarter, pushed the lead out to 13-3. Uh, Dedrick Thomas on the receiving end of a 17-yard pass from Garrett Schrader with 8.27 to play. That capped off an 8-play, 90-yard drive that lasted 3.37, made it 13-10. to 10. But then Tennessee uses a 5-minute, 44-second drive that goes 9 plays and 91 yards, capped off by a uh, Jarrett Garantano touchdown pass to Bird, uh, 39 yards. That was with 2.35 to play, made it 20-10, to 10, and Mississippi State could not get it into the end zone after that. 85,462, so Newland Stadium, I don't know, about 80% full on uh, on Saturday. So that was kind of the way you got to the final score. I would say maybe more than anything else, the number that stands out from this ball game, Kylan Hill 11 carries for a net of 13 yards. His longest run in the game was 4 yards. He averages 1.2 yards per carry. You could not have made me believe that at, at any level going into that game. Yeah, it's it's one of the you know the big reasons MSU lost, if not the biggest reason behind you know, I think the decision to, to play Tommy Stevens was the incorrect one as well, and I think it panned out as as much. But not only you know to to for Kylan Hill to be unsuccessful, but to not be able to get the ball into his hands away from just handing him the ball off up the middle. Tennessee was able to dominate Mississippi State's offensive line, and then the interior run game was pretty much no go for the Bulldogs all day. But there was no uh, ability to, you know, get the ball out to Kylan Hill, who is your best playmaker out in space, out in the flats. No screen passes, no no swing passes, anything of that nature. They just gave him the ball eleven times at the middle and basically said, "God bless you if you come out clean on the other side." And he did not come out clean <laughs> on the other side at any point. 
Um, I mentioned your podcast earlier. I haven't listened to the entire thing, but uh, listened to part of Thunder and Lightning earlier today. I think it was you that said somewhere along the way that if Garrett Schrader starts that game and plays the entire way, you think the result is different on Saturday? I do. I do. Because why? I, I think the team just responds better to Schrader. And he provides that extra uh, punch of, of being a running threat, which Tommy Stevens is not. There was a, I think it was the first sack Stevens took. He, he had a chance to step up in the pocket, and, and the field was open in front of him, but he, he wasn't able to do that. Schrader would have taken off and gotten positive yardage there. I, I just think State needs that, and evidently Joe Moorhead agrees with me because today at the press conference, uh, he well, not that he's listening to me, but he did name Garrett Schrader as the starting quarterback for this weekend's game against LSU. Yeah, but he played the entire second half, and they only scored seven points. I think at that point, mentally, the team was just sort of beat up I think I honestly think if he started the game, they would have gotten off to a better start, and, and it would have just it would have snowballed from there. Hmm. Well, so he will be the starting quarterback uh, on Saturday against LSU, and that's a game that will be played at two thirty on CBS. And even if the team really rallies around Garrett Schrader. it's an awfully tall hill to climb uh, against an LSU team that is averaging. Over 50 points per game. Yeah, uh, I think if I saw the spread is, has moved already from 18 to 20. Uh, I don't know that that's high enough, to be totally honest with you. I mean, I think I don't see any way forward for Mississippi State in this game as we sit here on a Monday to to avoid being blown out on their, on their home field. Um, LSU's just playing at such a high level. Mississippi State is not. Uh, this is a team that's sort of very precarious right now. They're, 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 you know, I, I can't imagine they have a whole lot of confidence and a whole lot of energy uh, they're they're going to need something this week to avoid being embarrassed. Um, I'm not entirely sure where you go right now with this Mississippi State team. When you look at the uh, the schedule ahead, uh, you got LSU coming to town, then a road trip to College Station, a road trip to Fayetteville, and Arkansas is not good at all. But then an open date before Alabama, so it's not like things get a whole lot easier over the next month of the season. No, you're right. I mean, that's that's the nature of the beast in the SEC. Obviously, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of off weekends for you, and now you have exactly zero margin for error when it comes to making a bowl game. I mean, I think right now State would probably still be a small favorite over Arkansas. I would think that they'll be, you know, they can beat Abilene Christian. Then you have the Egg Bowl, which honestly, I mean, if you if I were playing the odds maker, I would make Ole Miss the favorite in that right this second. You're gonna have to find a way to win that game on your home field to go to a bowl game because obviously LSU and Alabama seem like impossibilities. And and even as badly as Texas A&M has played this year, State's inability to do anything on the road under Joe Moorhead uh, is what looms for me. And that's what you know, even for Arkansas, you know, I, I, you get the impression that if Arkansas could just find a way to score 14 points, they could probably win the game. I don't think Arkansas is keeping Mississippi State to just 14 points or just 17 points. I mean, just I mean, I guess wouldn't the, you have said, the you have said the that you wouldn't have, the equation there? Wouldn't you have said on Friday that you didn't think Tennessee was keeping Mississippi State to 10 points? I would have. So, I mean, what are we talking about right now? With Joe Moorhead on the on the road is not a safe bet in any way, shape, or form. Let me ask you this. If if we agree that the biggest reason 
that Mississippi State lost the game on Saturday was the inability to run the football with any success whatsoever with Kylan Hill. Right. Then is the most, or, or anybody, is the most disappointing part or maybe the most frustrating part to see that that's kind of what you came out with from a game plan standpoint with 13 days to get ready for what everybody knew was a really important football game? Yeah. The, 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 the lack of, of preparation, I, you know, there weren't, the penalties weren't an issue in this game and they weren't piling up penalties and, but, and for what it's worth, pl- Mississippi State is the least penalized team in the SEC. They have a knack, however, for the penalties that matter, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, they, I think I agree. It's disappointing to have that extra time, and especially Georgia or Tennessee coming off such a bad loss. They got they got beat up at home by Georgia. You would think that State would come in there ready to play, ready to you know get off the blocks quickly. Instead, they have what is becoming my favorite running theme of this Mississippi State: a special teams miscue. They fumble the opening kickoff, and it's bobbled, and they don't get off a good return. And they're you know they're playing out of the way out of the back of their own field. And it just goes from there. You get a sack. You just you can't get anything going. More hits on the first play of the game. Tennessee ran a defense that they had not seen on film, and they didn't adjust to it. And so that blows up Kylan Hill in the backfield, and it just it just went downhill from there. As a general rule, we don't play Monday press conferences for you on the uh, on the radio because being redundant here. As a general rule, they are boring, and you don't get a whole lot out of them. We try to bring you the news from what happens. But if something interesting is said, we will bring it to you. We did that last week uh, when the now famous Bob from Bogachita quote was dropped. Uh, that was brought up in the press conference uh, toward the end today in the form of a question. But Joe Moorhead took a little different tact today. Normally, when he comes to the podium, he just jumps right into a scouting report with maybe a few thoughts about the previous week. He went for about five or six minutes to start things off in the press conference today we're going to play that for you when we come back and then kind of transition into a bigger picture conversation about Mississippi State football. That's when we continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm on this Monday afternoon. Sit tight. Sports Talk with you. On this Monday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. I'm going to play about five, maybe six minutes of Joe Moorhead's press conference. This was his opening statement today. Came right in, didn't take any questions until about, oh, 10 or 12 minutes into the uh, press conference. He got into a big breakdown of LSU as he does each week with the, the upcoming opponent. Um, we're not going to give you any of that, but uh, kind of an interesting way to start the uh, the media conference today in Starkville. This was Mississippi State head coach Joe Moorhead. Uh, entering the week, um, we talked to the team about the three things that were necessary to, to win the game, and that was preparation, physicality, and precision. Like I said to win a road SEC game in a challenging environment, uh, and none of those things happened. Uh, they didn't. And um, we talked to our kids all the time about the differences between, between reasons and excuses, and at the end of the day, there is no excuse uh, we were outcoached. We were outplayed uh, with 13 days to prepare. We need to, we can, and we will do better uh, because our program and our, and our fans deserve it. And uh, as a head coach, you know, it's my responsibility to make sure that happens. And, uh, you know, it does. It falls squarely on my shoulders. Um, you know, th- this game and coaching in, in the SEC uh, for about a year and a half now, 
in a lot of ways has been a, a humbling experience. Uh, I, I don't think you get to this point where I am without a certain level of success and a certain level of confidence. Uh, but this game and, and the SEC, uh, you know, it has a way of keeping you honest. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, you look at, you know, this week with our game and then you look across the, uh, the board and, you know, South Carolina beating Georgia and, and some of the other things that happened, Texas A&M being 3-3, three and three, you know, Kentucky coming off of a 10-win season and, and them being 3-3, three and three, that uh, the margin of error in, in this conference is small. And, uh, you know, it has been something that on a, on a daily basis that I'm learning from and getting better uh, when you're coaching against the best of the best on a weekly basis. You know, and, uh, you know Tyler, uh, you know, early, I think it was last week, you know, asked me a, uh, a very you know, pointed question about the, uh, the criticism uh, and kind of some of the outside noise. You know, I think it was more specific to the uh, Auburn game than it was an overall critique of the direction of the program. And that's why I think Tyler, Tyler's a, a good, young, aspiring writer because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question, you know, designed to elicit an emotional response from me because he understands my, my competitiveness and, and, how, and how those things kind of, you know, knife, knife at you a little bit. And, uh, you know, I made a tongue-in-cheek remark, and, and I said it, it, it wasn't going to affect my approach because it doesn't. But uh, at, the, at the end of the day, the, the people who know me best in this world, uh, they, they do know that I, that I am a people pleaser. And, uh, and nothing means more to me than to bring a consistently successful championship-level program to Mississippi State. And uh, every waking moment of my life is spent, not spent with my family is utilizing an effort to make it happen, and, and that's why making losing it's what making makes what lose it makes losing games so difficult uh, because of the investment, and, it, and it's not just a loss; uh, it crushes your soul, and, and you never you never get over it. You, you you learn to live with it, and you know you know there may be people that that watch the game and they get mad and, and deservedly kind of point out some things, and they go on about their day and cut their grass and go to church and go out to the, have a meal and you know go on to their job, but. You know, for, for us, uh, you know, it festers. And I, and I take the responsibility of running this program, our 120 student-athletes, our 40 staff members, our students, our administrators, our faculty members, and our great fans very seriously and uh, treat it with, with a sacred respect, and I'm doing it to the, to the absolute best of my ability. Uh, I'm certainly not a Bible thumper by any means, uh, but I am, a, I am a man of God, and I, I do believe that I was led to to this path at Mississippi State over other opportunities to achieve great things, and I remain steadfast in my belief that, that we are going to do it. Uh, still have unbelievable support, you know, obviously from my, my parents back home in Pittsburgh, my brothers and sisters. Uh, my brother lives in Minneapolis, and they're, they're rocking the maroon and white uh, in Western PA and in Minneapolis and supporting the Bulldogs. You know, my wonderful wife and kids, you know, who, who are part of the, uh, you know, Starkville Public School System, and you know, you talk about investment, and, you know, my daughter's down on the field after the game with me. Uh, you know, she's crying, you know, because she's upset, number one, because she understands football and, uh, you know, what Mississippi State means to her and what it means to me, you know, and to, and to have to stand there on the field and console your 18-year-old freshman daughter because she's crying. Not only that, because, uh, you know, you, you hear a few fans, you know, she's walking down and walking out of the stadium telling her that her dad sucks. And, you know, they were right on this date. I, I did suck. But, you know, that, that that's part of it. And, you know, the support you get from your family means everything. And, you know, certainly, you know, her, my wife, my boys and her play a huge part in that. Our coaches, our players, our administrators, our boosters, our fans, uh, our recruits. I, I can't tell you the number of times in the past three days that I've gotten a text, I've gotten an email I got a DM from uh, Strange Brew Coffee House 
with an interesting gift of support. Uh, they're, they're the best, uh, you know, from ex-players, from people on campus, and, uh, you know, particularly our, our recruits who are committed. And, and I didn't even have to reach out to some of them, you know, by the time I got, you know, back to my phone and, you know, on the way home, you know, Coach Moorhead, we know you're a great coach. We know you got this. Just keep plugging away. And I've talked to you guys how about how I communicate with 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 uh, the recruits and their families on a daily basis, and kind of send a post game you know text message out to all of them yesterday. You know, within five minutes there were 15 responses talking about you know, and, and the message of it was, you know, it, it's not apparent to people right away uh, because we live in an instant gratification society that it takes time to build things special and it, it, the process is occurring and sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees. That it takes time and space to gain perspective. And, uh, you know, to a person, coach, you know, we believe in what you're doing. We see the long-term vision and couldn't be more proud to have our son, you know, be a part of this process. So, uh, you know, like I said, it takes time to build special things. I know it's obviously not apparent, you know, with uh, our performance on the field uh, this week and against Auburn. But from a long-term thing, you know, I couldn't be more excited. And I know for a fact, as I stand here, uh, that it can and it will and it is going to happen. So that was Joe Moorhead at his uh, press conference earlier uh, earlier today. A lot to unpack there. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, he hit on the fact that he believes his team will be better. He is taking responsibility, says the success of this program is my responsibility. Pointed out that it's humbling through a year and a half um, to see how difficult it is to win in the SEC. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. He says the game keeps you honest. Um, pointed out that you don't get to the level that he's at now without some level of success and a degree of confidence. Uh, he addressed criticism and, and kind of went back to the question from last week where he talked about criticism of the program and him focusing on what he believes is best. said the most difficult part of losing is the time investment that goes into getting ready for these games. said that he is doing this job to the absolute best of his ability. Talked about the support from his family locally and uh, and away from here, his parents and his brother, um, but also the difficulty and the, the toughness that it is on families and mentioned his daughter specifically being uh, sad on the field after the game on Sunday and mentioned the um, support that he's getting through text messages and emails from recruits and guys that are going to be part of the program going forward. So hey, Dad, a lot to uh, a lot to unpack there. Where do you start? I wouldn't take any confidence from it, being a Mississippi State person. Uh, I, it, it sounded, it honestly sounded to me like a guy who's a little bit overwhelmed, uh, a little bit that he think feel maybe it sounded like I bit off more than I can chew. To me, um, because I mean this is this is life in the SEC, and if, if you didn't know that coming in, I mean I don't know how you couldn't have known that coming in. This is you know you don't just show up and win games when you travel in, in the SEC. So, um, I mean, obviously, I, I felt it was very heartfelt. I, I didn't feel it was manufactured or anything like that. But it, at, at the same time, I, I just listened to it, and, and I'm just watching him talk, and I just thought, this is a guy who, who I think he realizes it's going against him, and I don't know that he knows how to get out of it. Jason and Flagstaff on the C Spire text line. Another 11-carry game for our running backs. Can we stop with this fallacy that Moorhead is an offensive genius? I'm a complete moron, and even I know that we lose games we should win when they don't get running backs the ball. Five bits of proof in 
Joe Moorhead's 19 games still couldn't see that trend or that Tommy Stevens wasn't it. And Jason says he's tired of hearing about championship level. That's from Jason. And this is the um, other thing that to, to think about, though, is that MSU fans right now, they're angry. And when you talk about you want to build something, it's tough to tell people you want to build something when you walked into a team that had three first-round picks on the on, on the defense and had you know a, the a, a good solid quarterback who had won games in college. You had two guys on the offensive line who are starting for NFL teams right now as rookies. It's it's tougher to hear that and say, oh, we we're going to try to build something. The response that I got on social media, by and large, was it was already built. You didn't need to build it; you needed to improve it. And that's that's I think that's the disconnect between Moorhead and the MSU fan base right now. Some of the other text messages on the ceasefire text line sounds like he's begging to keep his job. Greg and Nettleton never one to hide his feelings says thumb finger thumb finger thumb finger thumb. Dude's a trip. Uh, words are cheap. Actions are the final scoreboard. They speak louder than what we just played. Uh, question, what happened to our offensive line? No blocking for Kylan Hill. Uh, here's one where he says, almost like he is saying there was no talent there when he got there, which obviously was not the case. We'll get more of your reaction. We've got winners and losers coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll wrap up the first hour of the show after this in the Renaissance Out Bank studio. All right, hey, Dad, so what's the uh, what's the noise around the Mississippi State program? Obviously, fans are frustrated. Season's not over. I mean, they're sitting at 3-3. Three and three. Obviously, the schedule is more difficult in the second half than it was in the front half of the season with um, Alabama on the slate, LSU at home, Alabama at home, Ole Miss at home. Road games at A&M and Arkansas with Abilene Christian mixed in uh, the week before the uh, the Egg Bowl. So halfway through at 3-3, three and three, are there three wins on the back half of the schedule? I mean, there's possible wins. Obviously, Abilene Christian, you feel you feel pretty good about. You should be able to beat an FCS team. Yes, <laughs> yes, you should. You should, but I mean, you know. Uh, and then Arkansas... I mean, I, I don't think Arkansas is, is a good football team, but I didn't think Tennessee was a good football team. So am I willing to sit here and tell you that, oh, yeah, that State's got that one in the bag? No, I'm not willing to do that. I think State will be favored. I think State can and probably should win that football game. But I won't be here that Monday after that game completely surprised if they find a way to blow it. Um, LSU and, and, Ar- and Alabama, you know, those are what they are. Um, A&M, I don't think A&M's very good, but I think Mississippi State is worse than them, so I probably wouldn't chalk that up as a win. And then you're going to have the Egg Bowl. And, and I mean, right now, if you ask me, I think you're going to have two five and six teams going into the Egg Bowl, and the winner's going to go to a bowl, and the loser's not, and there'll be a whole lot of of grinding of teeth from the team that loses and the team that wins. Will yeah, I don't know. You know, you talk about Ole Miss fans and with Matt Luke, and there's always been that sort of love hate relationship as far as him as a head coach, and now you've sort of got that with Moorhead. I don't know if there's any love to be totally honest. And the, the winner's going to go to a bowl game, and it's going to be you know, well, gosh, now we can't get rid of him. It's going it's to be one of those kind of situations. I don't know. So. Yeah, the, the egg bowl. The egg bowl could could decide who goes to a bowl from the state of Mississippi. I, I agree with you that the most likely scenario for Mississippi State is they're five and six going into the egg bowl. Um, I, just based on what's left on the schedule, they should beat Arkansas. They should beat Abilene Christian. That gets you to five. 
Uh, I don't think they beat LSU. I don't think they win at A&M. I don't think they beat Alabama. And then right. you'll see what happens in the Egg Bowl. You know, with Ole Miss's schedule sitting at three and four right now, more likely to be four and seven Who? going in. Ole Mississippi Miss. State? No, 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 Ole Miss. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the the wild the the game that you would circle that would have Ole Miss at five and six would be this Saturday's game against A and M because they're sitting at three and four right now. If they beat A and M. Then you probably get one against New Mexico State, and that's five. And then you do indeed have Ole Miss trying to get to bowl eligibility against Mississippi State. You know, the flip side of that is if you lose to A&M, then it's probably four and seven going in. Um, I don't. You may be onto something with the whole kind of split among fan bases. I I would say that. Probably not representative of the message board community or the active online community. Mm-hmm. I would say that a majority of Ole Miss fans, period, not not like online presence fans, absolutely want to see Matt Luke succeed to the point of getting to a bowl game and just see where this thing can go moving forward. Mm-hmm. There is a, I don't know if it's a majority or not, but a significant portion of the online, the active online community that wants wants Matt Luke gone, period. Yeah. And they are extremely vocal about it. That just doesn't make sense to me at this point. Well, I mean, you know, not that I want to go and, too far in trying to explain Ole Miss just because that's not my you know my area of expertise. So we have a guy on the show for that. But uh, who? For me, you know, I, I just think with, with Luke – the last, you know, last year was very frustrating. I think for Ole Miss fans, but I think you know Luke made the right changes. You know, he got Longo and, and McGriff are gone. You brought in real competent people, and a lot of the things you guys talked about in the offseason that I was sort of in wait and see mode. You've seen Ole Miss is better defensively. They're better coached and they're just better with a lot of the same players. Offensively, they're not as explosive as they were a year ago, but they look like they have the foundation of something with Plumley and, and Ely and, and, the, and the receivers. So, you know, it feels like Ole Miss is sort of moving in the right direction. I would say that Ole Miss has played better from week one to now. They've gotten better each week. The results may not be there, but they've gotten better. With State, it's the opposite. State's getting worse each week. They beat Kentucky, and then they go and, you know, they look terrible against Auburn. Fine, you're willing to write that game off. It's Auburn. It's on the road. But Tennessee was no good. They lost at home to BYU and Georgia State. You have no business losing that game. So State's trending downward, and I feel like Ole Miss is trending upward. I also... Another thing the programs have in common to me is, and and Rippy might disagree with me, I don't know, but for me, I think both programs should just go with these true freshman quarterbacks, Schrader and Plumley, and move forward with those two guys. Those those are the future of those two programs. You not ready to die on that hill yet? No, because I think I think the I think the answer for Ole Miss is to play both for now. Because you saw what happened with Plumley; they don't respect like teams don't respect his ability to consistently hit passes. And so coincidentally, he started to run better when Corral got in and started throwing the ball and opened up the field a little bit. So I actually think, I don't know what the long-term solution is to answer Haydad's question, but I think the short-term is to continue to play both. Text line, Ole Miss not beating A&M with that offense. Quarterback, counter, right, left, and middle. Going to have to throw it. Well, that's with that's the Plumlee offense. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 
Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you have land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They have been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. So whether you need equipment or you're buying a new piece of property or need to get a production loan or maybe you're just buying some new land, check out Mississippi Land Bank. Website, branch locations, phone number, all of that at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Tonight on Super Talk, you can hear the second debate between Jim Hood and Tate Reeves as they vie to become your next governor, 7 o'clock until 8 o'clock across the state on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio stations, online at supertalk.fm, streaming on the Super Talk Mississippi app, and available on Amazon Alexa. October is here, and Super Talk Mississippi wants to remind you that October is National Pork Month. So celebrate with savory pot roast or slow-cooked pork shoulder, with spicy cranberry glaze or maybe pork ribs. Enjoy the tastiest month ever and find inspiring recipes at pork.org slash cooking. Porky, are you afraid to like light up the grill right now because you might have food on the grill and be like, oh, i got to go to the hospital. Dude, I wanted to slow smoke something on Saturday, and I quickly thought better of that. There you go. Uh, it's just after 4 o'clock on Monday afternoon. That means it's time for winners and losers. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. You can send us your winners and losers from the weekend. We'll get to those coming up in just a few minutes. 601-879-4395. That is the number for the Ceasefire text line. Text them in. What would you like from the weekend? What made you look for that bottle of Tums this weekend? That might be uh, your loser. Um, it hurts to do this, but I'll do it nonetheless. When you hit a walk-off home run... In extra innings in the league championship series, that puts you on the winner's list. Carlos Correa, solo shot, gives the Astros a much-needed win to split the series with the Yankees 1-1, headed now to New York for games 3, 4, and 5. Pretty big moment, and just kind of going back to Friday and Saturday, how about the starting pitching for the Washington Nationals in the first two games of the NLCS those guys were fantastic. Anibal Sanchez in uh, game one, 13 years in the big leagues. I saw him throw as a starter in his rookie year of 2006. Over the course of 13 years, going into the game earlier this, uh, or on Friday night, he had a career record of 108 and 108 and has made $109 million as a 500 pitcher that's lasted 13 years in the big leagues. So that was pretty impressive. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. Let's go with Will Muschamp, South Carolina. Okay. That, that's that's a huge win. Uh and talking about maybe the most unexpected result of the season so far. And maybe there may not be anything to top that uh all year. 
Um, South Carolina, I, I've been on the record. I've said that I thought they were going to be really bad this year and that Muschamp was probably going to be in a lot of trouble. That feels like the kind of win that could turn things around for them, and they might find their way into a bowl, and he might find his way into uh, some long-term success there at South Carolina. Long-term success? You're not just going kind of bails it out this year. You think whole well, I mean, changing of the guard. That is that's that that is a a huge win. That that's the kind of win that you know sparks something. In my opinion, I, I look at it sort of the same way State going to LSU in 2014. I'm not saying that they're about to make this huge run to number one or anything, but I'm just saying that sometimes a win sparks something for a few years. You can you can live off of a win for a long time. That that felt like that kind of win. I think they found something with Holinsky. I think he's really good, and they're recruiting well enough. You know. Can they can they challenge year in and year out with Florida and Georgia? Probably not, but can they be that third team in the East that's consistently an eight nine one program? Yeah, I think they could. By the way, current standings, Missouri on top of the East at two and oh, five and one overall, currently ineligible for the postseason. Florida three and one, six and one, Georgia two and one, five and one, South Carolina two and two, three and three. Tennessee gets their first SEC win. They're one and two, two and four overall. Kentucky one and three in the league. Three and three, Vanderbilt zero oh and three, one and five, and coming off a loss to UNLV, who was one and four going into the game. SEC West, Bama undefeated, three and zero, oh, six and zero, oh, LSU two and zero, oh, six and zero. Oh. Those two teams seemingly on a crash course in November. Auburn two and one, five and one, Ole Miss two and two overall. Uh, I'm sorry, in the league three and four overall. Mississippi State one and two, three and three. Texas A&M one and two, three and three. That is Ole Miss's opponent on Saturday night in Oxford. And Arkansas, zero oh, and three, two and four, not looking good in year two of Chad Morris. Porky, give me a winner. The Pope, Pope Francis gave everybody gambling advice on Twitter on Sunday morning. Oh, I thought you were going Mike Francesa. Oh no, not Mike Francesa. The the real Pope. So something's going on at the Vatican. I'm not Catholic, so I have no idea what it was. But something was going on at the Vatican, and Pope Francis tweeted this. Today we give thanks to the Lord for our new hashtag saints. They walked by faith and now we invoke their intercession. But the thing is, when you hashtag an NFL team name, the little logo pops up next to it. So everybody in the gambling community thought the Pope was blessing the New Orleans Saints and they ended up covering and winning the game. So they got Pope Francis's blessing on Sunday morning and went to Jacksonville and uh, shut Minshew Mania down for a week. In nomine de Patris, et de Fili, et de Spiritus Sancti. Amen. What what did... uh, Translator, please. Uh, In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ah. Spirit. Amen. There you go. Udat. (laughs) I mean this sincerely. What were you just speaking? Latin. Okay. Give me a winner, Rippy. In Latin, if you don't mind. (laughs) He can do pig Latin. I was going to say, <laughs> I can start reading tweets in Pig Latin. I was going to do Muschamp. I guess I'll go Kirk Cousins. He took a lot of heat uh, two weeks ago after a really brutal performance, and he beat a good team last week and, or this past week and looked fairly good doing it. So, good on him. I have no idea if it's sustainable, but... We'll stick with you. How about a loser? Mm. We'll snake draft here. Derek Mason, Ooh. that's tough. That guy's Ooh. last stop at UNLV was a high school. You're correct. He was the head coach at Bishop Gorman two years ago. Second win of the year for uh, UNLV. The oh. game didn't seem close. I didn't watch any of this game for a multitude of reasons. But 
It's 34 to 10. Yeah, that's 24 points for those adding at home. I, uh, that's rough. I thought Vanderbilt was bad after they came through Oxford, but I actually did. I, that was This is a whole other level. I, I didn't know it was that bad. Borky loser. Uh, drop one more winner for you, Wisconsin. They've given up 29 points oh, all Wisconsin, season oh, long. Wisconsin. Like the oh, entire season, 29 points. They're 6-0. and Go to Columbus in two weeks. That should be an awesome football game. Uh, I, my other one's the Dolphins. They scored their first touchdown of the second half this season on Sunday. First touchdown of the second half. They first kept the tank alive, though. The but they also lost. They they, lost, they won by perfect. losing. Yeah, they scored, they, and an extra point would have tied the game. Instead, they went for two and had the worst two-point conversion play call yeah. ever, keeping the tank for Tua alive. It's the like they, they drew up the a play they knew could not score. They're like, we yeah. cannot win this game. So just draw up a play that has no chance. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that guy was literally just like jogging. Like he caught the ball and then like stood there and he got tackled. Hmm. It was awful. They should have done the longest yard and just like hurled it in an official or something. Hey, Dad, loser. How about them Cowboys? They were not good. Yeah, that, that was, I mean, and look, I mean, you lose to the Saints. The Saints are a good team. Um, he loses the Packers. The Packers are a good team. You lose the Jets. All right, now you don't have any excuse. Uh, just not good, not good. So they were three and zero, and everybody thought, man, this is a a team to beat. And now they're three and three, and you don't know what to make of them. Uh, the Cowboys are definitely a loser this week. Flip side, Jets look like a different team with Darnold. He can play. Funny how having a quarterback like that can uh, make a difference, right? You got to you got to so pad the, up but, that spleen. You'd be good to go. At its point, their wins are over the Redskins, the mm-hmm. Dolphins, and the, the Giants. Giants. That's not exactly a murderer's row. And wasn't that a pre-Danny Dimes Giants? Not that it really oh, makes yeah. much of a difference, yes, but that, that was, was... That was Eli Giants, yes. Not a good look you when you're loser? in uh, contract negotiations. Um, the NFL, maybe we need to spend more time on this later in the week, but they have overturned one pass interference challenge. They made a stupid rule, and now they're making sure that coaches don't challenge pass interference because even if it's obvious and egregious, you can challenge it, and you're still not winning the challenge. It was a dumb rule to begin with. We all knew it was dumb, and now they're not even using it effectively. So never challenge a pass interference again because you're not going to win. They've made that very clear. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Your winners and losers are next. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Your winners and losers. Some of those have been coming in on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. Let's see here. Quinn goes with the Pope was a winner this weekend. As Borky pointed out as well. Huey and Hamilton says losers. Cowboys and Mississippi State. We have a Joe Moorhead as a loser. Um, this one's from Robert. See what you make of this, hey, Dad. I don't want to kick Moorhead while he's down, but saying nothing is kicking this football team while they're down. 
Seeing players yelling at their coaches on the sidelines means they don't trust their play calls. Moorhead has lost this team. It's too late to call the dentist. The tooth must be pulled. That's from Robert and Brandon. I would say that if things continue to progress, well, progress isn't the right word. Regret, regress the way they have the past couple of weeks that by the end of the season, John Cohen might have to make a difficult decision. I don't think that's going to be the case. Not that I don't think things are going to continue to regress, but I, I won't be. He might be put to a decision. Winner of the San Francisco 49ers defense holding the Rams to 78 yards passing and seven points. Niners are good. Here's a question. Are they the best team in the NFL right now? Did New Orleans drop out of the NFL? Right now, as they currently sit. And Teddy was good again on Sunday, but they will be a lot more productive when when Breeze comes back offensively. So in their current form, are the 49ers the best team in the NFL right now? Hey, hey Dad, do you want to ask your question again? Did the, the Saints drop out of the NFL? No, the Saints are the best team in the NFL. I think San Francisco would be favored if they played each other on a neutral site right now. I think. I, I'm sorry. Is Tom Brady not playing football anymore? Did I miss that? Well, speaking of, a Tom Brady-Jimmy G Super Bowl would be pretty cool. Well, just because the Patriots have Tom Brady doesn't mean they're the best team in the NFL right now. Uh, you shouldn't kinda, count him out. Does, doesn't it? No, it does not. I think it kind of does. How? They win Super Bowls. You don't I'm win talking Super about Bowls this season, the- this current team right now. You don't think the New England Patriots are the favorite to win a Super Bowl? I don't think they're the best team in the NFL right now. I do not. That wasn't the question I asked. It's the same thing. No, I don't think they are. It's not always the same thing, is it? I do not think they are the favorite to win the Super Bowl right now. I do not. Okay. I don't care what Vegas says. I'm talking about what I see. No, I understand. That's fine. So so you would bet against Tom Brady right now? Yes, I would. You never bet against touchdown Tom. Yeah, you I sure? would right I mean, now. You got a kid mm-hmm. on the way. You, you sure you got the money to lose? <laughs> Buddy, I haven't had money to lose in a long time. Uh, but no, I, I think right now, I mean, you saw, and it's your take that has proving to be right, there's something going on in Houston right now. I mean, their offense is explosive. Their defense is figuring it out. I think Houston might be the favorite right now in the AFC. They might be the best team right now in the AFC. I like Houston's chances better than New England's chances. And I like Houston's chances definitely better than Kansas City right now. They can't win at home. Deshaun Watson's on another level, and their offense is more explosive than New England. Let me tell you, great idea to bet against touchdown Tom in the cold in New England in January against the Houston Texans. Okay. We will see. But I love Deshaun Watson. Winner. He's awesome, man. Bob from Bogachitta. Joe may need to listen to him. Okay. Um... Have you guys got amnesia? Losers ever heard of Joe Moorhead? Wasn't calling you guys losers. It was losers as in winners and losers. I'm with you. I think he called us losers. We've just talked about that a lot, and I think we're going to some other losers as well. Yeah, I I always, since I figure we talk about state in the first hour, I just, I I, I like to get away from them for a minute if I can. You omit them? They are omitted. 
That is a good word, yes. Loser. South Carolina players ripping off branches from the hedges in Athens. That's from Scott and Clinton. I kind of loved that. I thought it was... A grow back. I mean, it's not... You know, you don't want your kid to destroy somebody else's property, but if you beat number 3 Georgia when you're a four-score underdog, you can take some hedges home with you. You have a coach that eats grass. At least they didn't put it in their mouth. Did you know? Maybe they smoked the hedges in the locker room. Uh, Winner, Oklahoma defense. Steve-O says, winner, Mercedes-Benz six in a row. Constructors champion F1. Loser. Bulgaria. Football fans. No place for racism in soccer. That was a big story today. Okay. What's the Mercedes Benz six in a row? Oh, the 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 F one champion. Yep. Those are really fun much- if you feel like waking up at four a.m. You may get to watch a lot of Formula One moving forward, Borky. I'm going to be locked in. There will be formula on the TV and in the bottle. You'll be good to go. Yeah. Winner Tyreek Hill scoring two touchdowns in his first game back. Uh, Winner Southern Miss. Good call. Also LSU losers Mississippi State and Georgia. Loser Jay Gruden. His team wins their first game after firing him. I mean, wouldn't they probably have won that game with him as coach? Well, Miami's trying not to win. I've Openly. heard, I've read some stuff out of Washington though that people are, are talking about them drafting a quarterback, and I know they haven't played Dwayne Haskins because their coach didn't want him to. But you're not rebuilding a football team drafting quarterbacks in consecutive drafts, so it's just somebody did that in the recent past, Arizona. Was that who it was? Yeah, but even more more recent, even like bigger in terms of like in like the first three picks or something. I don't know. I could be wrong. Evan and Guntown winners, Niners, losers, NFC East. Amanda from Pike County. I missed this story. President Trump for flying the Louisiana Little League champs home on Air Force One after their trip to the White House. That's pretty cool. No pun intended. That's kind of the ultimate trump card, isn't it? That's awesome. I'm sure somebody says it's an improper use of tax money, but we waste money everywhere we turn. So putting 15 Little League kids on a 747 that's outfitted for the president, giving them a ride home, I'm good with that. Well, he was flying to Louisiana anyway. Okay. So it's not like they went out I of I wouldn't care way. if he was or not. I mean, he could have been staying there. I still think it would have been cool to put them on Air Force One. Yeah. Um, let's see. Winner, whoever gets Derek Mason as their defensive coordinator. Not wrong. The guy's a good defensive coordinator. Uh, you guys need to mention the Ole Miss women's volleyball team. Well, actually, you should in our winners segment because they are now 5-0 and in the SEC and have won 13 in a row. That's why we have this segment. So, congratulations, Sir or ma'am, who didn't put your name? Oh, Ed. Sorry, it was Edward and Greenwood. So, Edward, there you go. You mentioned the Ole Miss women's basketball team. John and Greenwood, loser, Tate Martell. Volleyball. What did I say? Basketball. Sorry, volleyball. That's what I meant. What did Tate Martell do this time? I don't know. Just not getting to play? Wasn't Miami off this week? 
No, they played Virginia and won on Friday night. Oh, that's good for them. Remember we talked about how fishy that line was? Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, Valdosta State Blazers for continuing their winning streak. Uh, Pete from Subway, y'all are losers. USM to the top. Harsh, but fair. Thanks. Man, I wouldn't be texting while I was at work. That's all I'm going to say, man. You never know. Well, you say he's at work? He says he's from Subway. Is there a Subway, Mississippi? (laughs) Uh, Here we go. Tate Martell doesn't have to do anything to be on the losers list. He's perpetually on that list. Oh, okay. Works for me. Uh, Richie in West Point says the Redskins have drafted two quarterbacks in a draft one time before. It was uh, that's how they got Kirk Cousins. Who did they take right. before him? RG three. That's right. Thank you. I knew it was right. Those are your winners and losers on this Monday. Thanks as always for contributing. Coming up next, let's take a look at Ole Miss and Missouri. Thirty-eight twenty-seven. Mizzou wins it on Saturday night in Columbia. It felt like football, and it was glorious. More in the Renaissance Bank studio after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. we got a couple that uh, tried to sneak in just after the buzzer on winners and losers. We will do it quickly before we uh, move on because we appreciate your uh, interaction. Bubba and Starkville, loser. USM fans, horrible crowd for a big conference game. Weather was perfect. Beer was ice cold. No excuses. Winner? Nasty Bunch showed up. Thanks, Bubba in Starkville. Uh, here we go. Bruce, I know I'm too late for the time uh, slot, but for a winner, how about Bill Clark, the head coach at UAB, for what he continues to do with a program that was killed just two or three years ago? They continue to win. They're 5-1 and one this season. He needs to be the next coach at Mississippi State. That is from Bruce. And uh, here is one from uh, Jason Winters. Dan Mullen, even in a loss, watching that game and seeing them go punch for punch with LSU in Death Valley with a young quarterback, you see that Florida is very close. Loser, Joe Moorhead for not seeing the obvious regarding the Tommy Stevens project, running back attempts, and where is Keaton Thompson also, Mississippi State fans who are mad at Moorhead because of their absurdly unreasonable preseason expectations. So those are from Jason. Thanks to all of you for contributing on Winners and Losers. Uh, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey the rest of the way on this Monday afternoon. Let's dive into Ole Miss's game against Missouri on Saturday night in Columbia. 38-27 the final. Ole Miss jumped out to a 7-0 lead. Missouri kicked a 31-yard field goal to make it 7-3. 13-23 to go in the second quarter. 17-yard touchdown pass from Kelly Bryant to Tyler Beatty. By the way, Bryant had no ill effects of the knee injury. Doinked extra point, made it 9-7. Tucker McCann kicked a 48-yard field goal that would have been easily good from 55 to make it 12-7. Larry Roundtree had a 41-yard touchdown run to start the third quarter. Five plays, 65 yards, minute 44, 18-7. Doink number two on the PAT try. 
Tucker McCann hit a 39-yard field goal to make it 21-7. Dawson Downing, the third-string running back, had a 54-yard rushing touchdown to make it 28-7. That was quite the stretch for Missouri. Ole Miss got, uh, in the third quarter, a touchdown pass from John Rice Plumley to Elijah Moore. Made it 28-14. Missouri went on a five-play, 75-yard drive. Ole Miss defense sieve-like on that possession. Uh, Roundtree had a touchdown run to make it 35-14. Then Ole Miss kind of climbed back in it a little bit. Nine-yard rushing touchdown from Plumley Made it 35-21. Next possession is where Ole Miss missed by the length of the finger. Touchdown pass from Corral to Elijah Moore on a fourth down play. That was a play that Corral checked to at the line of scrimmage because they had one-on-one on the outside. That would have made it 35-28 instead of 35-21 turnover on downs. Missouri kicks a field goal to make it 38-21. Ole Miss, with five and a half minutes to play, gets a 40-yard touchdown run from John Rice Plumley, 38-27. That was the final. Rippy, there's a lot you can look at, a lot you can point to in this game. To me, there are three plays that stand out, or three sequences that stand out more than the others. The 65-yard touchdown run that was called back for a holding that happened 10, 15 yards behind the play that the official still didn't spot the ball correctly on after it happened, which was strange. Um, the sequence at the goal line to end the first half, the second quarter, where Ole Miss wasn't able to get it in and take a lead into the locker room, and then the pass from Corral to Elijah Moore on fourth down that was just beyond the outstretched arms of of Moore that, again, would have made it a one-score game late. To me, those are the three that stand out more than the rest because those are three legitimate chances that Ole Miss had to score touchdowns. Yeah, and Plumley fumbled shortly after the holding call. So that and the two targeting penalties, because each of them backed Missouri out of its own red zone. Um, really, both in kind of moments where Ole Miss was trying to crawl back into the game. So yeah, I mean they were there were a handful of plays that swung the pendulum, the game, I guess momentum pendulum, whatever you want to call it, pretty hard. And you know, Ole Miss was on the wrong side of all of those. And four, I would say, are pretty much self inflicted. Okay. So, where does all this go from here? What's the takeaway from Saturday night? I mean, you can't win games against decent, good to decent SEC teams when you have a bunch of self-inflicted errors. And I think Missouri's a good team. Do you, I mean, at a base level, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think Missouri's good. I mean, it was just indicative of a young and inexperienced team that's still kind of learning how to win on the road. And the SEC problem is you got to have results. And oh, I guess the looming knock on Matt Luke's tenure here so far at Ole Miss is like they've beaten you know the Arkansas's Vanderbilts of the world, but there hasn't been a win against a Power 5 team that I guess maybe Ole Miss wasn't. It was either a coin flip or Ole Miss wasn't quite as good. Maybe Texas Tech falls in that category. Aside from that, the, you know, in his interim year, the 2017 Egg Bowl is really the – on the other one. So that was an opportunity for them to kind of get a signature win, and they weren't able to do it. So now, I mean, you know the team's ceiling if they lose this week, essentially. So it turned Saturday into a fairly crucial and kind of interesting game. What was your takeaway, Borky? Um, 
on the other side of it, I think they found how to handle the quarterback situation. And I think so. Because it's complicated and, you know, I I don't live tweet the games like hey, that does, but I tweet throughout the games and a lot of the responses to me are, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, it's all plumly, it's all plumly. And what I saw in the second half, the way they used the quarterbacks within a, within a drive, switching from plumly to corral, and it seemingly had no pattern to it, which made it even more difficult to stop. You've been searching since corral went down with that rib injury and plumly played well in Tuscaloosa, how you handle the quarterback situation. I think those three touchdown drives in the second half showed you exactly how to do it. Use them both, because if you just use Plumley, as Rippy pointed out earlier in the show, if it wasn't for a muff punt, which it happened and he threw a nice touchdown pass, it was a good ball, Ole Miss was not moving the football effectively against Missouri in the first half. They were keying on the run. They were daring Ole Miss to throw the football against them, and that, that was not happening. So that mix and match they did in the second half, alternating quarterbacks without much of a pattern that you could pick up on, had Missouri playing on their heels a little bit and almost moved the football. So in that sense, in the, the quarterback position and offensively, that is how I've been envisioning it should go since we've been talking about it a few weeks ago after they played Alabama, is that's how you use them both. And on the other side, defensively, they, I mean, Kelly Bryant had a good day. They got ran on a little bit. I think that was more of a product of there's a limitation with what coaching can do. I think Mike McIntyre's done a really good job with that defense, and I think there's a ceiling that a coach can bring a defense to, and at some point some players are better than the others, and Ole Miss in the secondary just cannot cover the, the better receivers and the better quarterbacks in this league, and that's why Missouri was able to move the football with relative ease through the air. Um, I mentioned this on the radio on, on Saturday night, and it's gotten a lot of play from, from other areas, not because I said it on the radio. The, the sequence down around the goal line at the end of the second quarter seemed to me like the perfect time to bring Plumley back in. Matt Mock, or uh, Matt, sorry, I'm reading a story about Matt Mock here a second ago, former LSU quarterback. Matt Corral had done a really good job moving the ball, the, the team down the field. And Rippy, you and I were talking a little while ago, made a couple of throws that they're just not in John Rice Plumley's repertoire right now. The two over the middle of the field, he wouldn't have made if he had thirty tries. Just, just, just physically, there's a difference there. Um, and then when you hand it off on first down and get six yards, so you get first and goal from the nine, you get it down to the three, you've got second and goal. And if you've already made up your mind at that point, if it takes all three downs to get it into the end zone, we're using all three downs. To me, that's a point where it made a lot of sense to flip and bring Plumley in because of his ability to get to the corner. Because you only got to get three yards. And then you've only got to get one yard on the final two plays. Yeah, I agree. I think the answer is to play both quarterbacks, but it's like the most 2019 debate possible. There's always, there's, for whatever reason, there's a stigma that like playing two quarterbacks doesn't work, which is just not really true at all. There's been plenty of instances of it working, but you got to be all in one way or another. 
the solution is what they did in the fourth quarter and to play both of them. That was when they were most effective. Palmy ran for 62, Corral threw for 57 and ran for 16, and it was effective. What does that look like when they're not chasing the game? I don't know. I guess you'll find out Saturday, but you got to be able to throw the ball. Speed talking. I mean, we got. The good news is we got an hour and 10 minutes left. Yep. We'll continue the conversation with you after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Ceasefire, customer inspired. You can jump on and chat with us right there. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Um, Missouri going into the game against Ole Miss was giving up 88 yards per game. They were giving up an average of 39 yards a game at home, and Ole Miss ran it for 204. Almost 900 yards rushing in the last three games, second-best rushing offense in the SEC. Can that continue? If you're running 70% of the time, sure. Fair enough. Is that what the breakdown was? I don't know about this week, but it was against Vanderbilt. 45 rushing attempts, 33 passing attempts. A little more balanced. Yeah. That's quite, I mean, and that's, I mean, if you're a team that likes to run the ball, that's pretty decent balance. Is that 60 40? With uh, 33 divided by 78. How quickly can you use your calculator? I thought that's what you were doing. Oh, you want me to do it now? Ah, 42. So 42% of the time through the air. That's that's close enough to being balanced, right? I mean, you can kind of have an identity as what your team is if you can throw it effectively 40% of the time? Sure. And I don't know if they'd have thrown that many times that they'd stuck with one quarterback or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it was somewhat effective. I don't think they really have an idea or have a number in mind of what they want to do. Like, I don't think that matters to them very much at all. Yeah. Um, what about looking forward to Texas A&M? Is this like an imminently winnable game? I mean, they're not going to be favored. I they it's a game they can win. I don't, I I don't know. How, I mean, describing it as winnable is so subjective. But A&M has certainly looked like a better team than Ole Miss. But Ole Miss is getting better, and they can hang around in the game and give themselves a chance. What, what are they going to do defensively? I mean, is it? As simple as tackle better? Yeah, I mean, they came into the game pretty good against the run and then gave up, what, 200-something yards on the ground. Roundtree was the first 100-yard rusher they'd allowed since Patrick Taylor did it in the season opener. So, I mean, don't let Kellen Mond tear you up for, you know, 350 on 60-something completion percentage. and You just have to get to him. And it's going to be more difficult now that they're without a body on the defensive line and um, – you know, a, a middle linebacker that was a, a backup coming into the season who's come on and, and been pretty good for the first half. But that's the key is uh, Ole Miss is so limited in the secondary. There are just – they have to play some guys that just cannot cover at a high level. It, it, there's just a limitation back there as far as athleticism and, and who they can play. So you have to get to Kellen Mond because they couldn't get to Kelly Bryant, and that's why he picked them apart. And then Ole Miss was out there on defense a lot, and then they got – gassed in the running game as well they have to find a way to get to him because when Kellen Mond is uncomfortable he's bad not even average he's bad when he's under pressure 
there's your key to the football game. If they can get to him, put pressure on him, they have a chance to win. If they can't get to him, he's going to pick them apart. Because with a clean pocket all day to throw, he will be able to have success against Ole Miss. There's your key. That simple. All right. So, Rippy, can Ole Miss afford to blitz more against Kellen Mond and run the risk of letting guys run free in the secondary? I mean, you're going to have to some, because if you don't, you give him all day to throw like Garber. So, I mean, they're going to have to strike a balance somewhere, I would imagine, but I don't know the answer to that directly. Yeah. Uh, by the way, A&M, an early six-and-a-half-point favorite. So, touchdown favorite, give or take, in Oxford on Saturday night. Would you say Missouri is better or worse? Well, look, let me change that question. And A&M? They're better. Okay. Well, they had the same answer. They've got a I better quarterback. Say. They've got a better running back. They've got a better offensive line. And they've got a really good defensive front. Missouri's a good football team. Yeah. Like, like not they're a good football team for Missouri. or a good, They're just a good football team. Doesn't mean they're going to win all their games. And, yes, I know they lost to Wyoming out of the gate. So but different, I'm, though. They, they passed the eye test. The uh, number one, Elliott, in the middle of that defensive line, really good. The uh, the linebacker, 32. Sorry, I sound like a coach. I don't mean to. I just don't remember their names. Um, played a really good game, especially in the absence of Cale Garrett. thought they were okay in the secondary. Yeah, I think they're definitely better than Texas A&M is. I think Missouri's got a puncher shot at winning the East. And it's if and but. Beat Florida and Florida beats Georgia. Hmm. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, of course, as it sits right now, Missouri's not eligible to go to the SEC championship game. What's remaining for Missouri? They go to Vanderbilt this week. That's going to be 6-1. and one. They go to Kentucky after that. That's seven and one, and we'll get them to four zero in the SEC. They got Tennessee and Arkansas at the end. That's six more, or that's two more. That gets you to six in the SEC. You got a road game in Athens and a home game against the Gators. This team's minimum going nine and three this year. Probably a, you know, if they get a bowl game, it could be a ten win season. How disappointing would that be to not be eligible in a year you win 9 or 10? 5 o'clock hour with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi, you've probably made it to the off-season. You've kind of gotten through harvest, gotten everything uh, picked or out of the fields and ready to roll. If not, you're close. And you're going to have a little downtime, maybe to spend with some family, maybe to do a little bit of hunting, but you've also got to start thinking about next year. Your production loans, your equipment needs, whether or not it's time to buy another piece of property to add to what you are already farming. Well, Mississippi Land Bank wants to be your partner, not just your bank, if you will, but your partner. They understand the farming business. They've been lending money, refinancing loans for over 100 years, and they are here to help you. Stop by and see them, a branch location near you, 
across North Mississippi, or just give them a call. Start the conversation on the phone. Uh, maybe you're already doing business with them, and uh, it's time to look at uh, whether or not uh, there's more that Mississippi Land Bank can help you with. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. College football fix. Let's roll. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Don't stop there. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Every time, every time I leave the studio in Oxford, I drive right past that Ford dealership here, Elk Ford, and see all those F-150s sitting out there and think, is it time? Is it time to make a swap? Maybe not quite yet, but, man, I love getting a new truck. You can as well. It's your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Um, Let's walk through the weekend in the SEC. And let's start with the two biggest games of the weekend. South Carolina goes to Gainesville. Jake Fromm throws three interceptions. The kicking game was not particularly good for either team. The decision-making was not particularly good for either coach down the stretch. And all of that adds up to a loss for Georgia, probably thwarting their playoff chances and a massive win for, boom, Will Muschamp. 20-17, South Carolina in double Overtime. Rippy, were you able to watch any of this game? Yeah, it was an early game, so I watched. I didn't watch most of it. I mostly watched the Texas Oklahoma game, and then some plays at State and Tennessee, and then I flipped to this towards the end. So I probably caught most of the fourth quarter, and then left for the stadium once it ended. So I don't know, last fifteen minutes plus overtime. Yeah, we left for the stadium. I don't know, last couple of minutes of the game, so I missed the overtime. Yeah, I drove in my car. All the way there and back. How'd you get there? Airplane. Okay. But I still had to go in a car to the stadium. How was it? The car? The plane. It's nice. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I travel with the team. They fly. Must be nice. I'm sorry. No, you don't have to apologize. I was just trying to get a taste of that life. Yeah. Legroom's really good. I bet it is. Complimentary snacks and stuff. Uh, no complimentary snacks this time. Flight was so short. What did he need for it? Yeah, the drive was so short. I looked up and I was there. Seven hours whizzed by. Did you, uh, did you stop and get some complimentary snacks from Love's at three different locations on the way? No, I, th- I ate at a Dairy Queen for the first time since I was like 12, though. It was pretty did good. Did you get one of those hand-dipped ice cream cones? No, I got one of those things, that, the blizzards or whatever, that they turn upside down to show you that I don't really know what that shows you, but lady turned it upside down. What, so that it wouldn't fall out of the cup? I guess I don't really know, but they always do that. You know, they, you can do like the soft serve ice cream, but then they dip it in the chocolate and then it turns into like the hardened chocolate on the outside? I was trying to get where I was going. Yeah. It's not a great drive either, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> I didn't even take the interstate to St. Louis because I stayed in Jefferson City, so I went just straight up the middle of Missouri. So what was the route that you took? I saw lots of cows. You, Lots of dry hay, too. Right, hopefully so you, it was dry, because I've learned wet hay can be quite the danger. Combustible, even. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went... <laughs> so, I was, did you go up 
Once you got to Memphis, did you keep going north, like up to Dyersburg and across there? I'm try- I'm not trying to exaggerate. I went Memphis, and then once I hit Jonesboro, and then after Jonesboro, I didn't hit like a like a town, like civilization. Yeah, for a long time. I got you. So you went ahead and cut west, just north of Memphis. Yes. I passed, like, the most middle America things of all time. In, like, a half-mile stretch, I passed a strip club, a daycare, and a river, and a factory next to a river. All in, like, a half-mile. And that felt like the Midwest personified? I did. I think I got all of it in one, one... Did you stop and take a picture? No, I did not. Did you stop and go into any of the places? Didn't stop anywhere. The daycare would have been creepy. Yeah. Stopped to go to the bathroom. That was about it. Fair. Although having the gentleman's club that close to the, you know, seesaw seemed a bit questionable, but... <laughs> <laughs> Surely they don't have the same operating hours. No, I wouldn't think so, but just the idea of it. I don't know where that is, but... You don't even know what town that was in? No. Did you uh, did you stop and look at the world's largest ball of thread? I didn't Yarn. see any museums on the way Yarn. there. No, did not. Saw a lot of farms. Did you go through Sykeston? I, I don't know. I... Sykeston is where they have the throw rolls, the uh, uh, Lambert's right. restaurant. The traffic was terrible in Sykeston. Nice stoplight, though. <laughs> I don't. Re- I don't know. I didn't see anything. <laughs> I didn't. I did. I mean, seriously, I hit Jonesboro, and there was really not a whole lot after that. I probably should have done the whole St. Louis thing because I was under the impression Jefferson City was about an hour from Columbia, and really it was like twenty minutes. Um. What what did you do to entertain yourself along the way? Listen to some podcasts. Any good ones? Quite a few. Pondered life while I was <laughs> why I was driving to Missouri, among other things. <sighs> All right. Ceasefire text line. Um hour and a half on state's loss, barely half an hour on Ole Miss, typical. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> See, that's I don't get it, guy. I guarantee that's tattooed on his forehead. I, where do you come from? We just were kind of having fun with Rippy's road trip. Yeah, I got us. We're actually supposed to be there. bouncing around the SEC. And we're going to circle back to Ole Miss, but I don't know. Um, Everett, my friend, tells me that uh, if you went to Jonesboro, you did not go to Sykeston. Two different routes. I'll take his word for it. I he, he knows better than you. He actually pays attention to what's going on around him as he drives through the... I was paying attention to my GPS and, you know, trying to get to my hotel, which I did. Uh, Greg says he loves it. Derek says all the strippers' kids need care. Stan says Rippy is killing me. And um, they played in Athens, not Gainesville. South. Did I say that South Carolina played in Gainesville? If I did, it just kind of slipped out. Sorry. Uh, anyway. Borky, what did you think of South Carolina, Georgia? Uh, it's an indictment on Kirby Smart more than it is uh, an impressive win for South Carolina, if that makes sense. I mean, I- I'm very happy for a lot of my friends and family back home, but it's a trend with Kirby now, is it not? It's and he kind of makes some bad decisions in big tight games, doesn't he? That's it, just it's when habit becomes identity, and that's what he is. That's who he is now. And if you look at records, eerily. Similar to what Mark Richt, the last few years under Mark Richt. I mean, basically identical uh, between the two of them. And they forced Mark Richt out. And here they are losing to South Carolina at home. And not to toot my own horn because I get plenty more wrong than I get right. Uh, 
But I told you Georgia let the wrong quarterback go. You're probably right. To be fair, I agree with most of what you're saying, but he did get to a national title in year Right. Two. I mean, you, you can't bench Jake Fromm, but they're kicking themselves for not doing it. Oh, no, I don't. I actually disagree with that. I think you might could have if you really thought Fields was the guy. I mean, they benched Eason for Fromm. Why well, you Eason got hurt. Time? That's why. Oh, yeah, I guess that's what it was. But then, but Eason was not... Eason was not hurt the entire season, was he? Uh, he he broke his ankle, was out like four to six weeks, and then at that point when he came back, they were winning under Fromm, so they couldn't bench him. But, I mean, they could have at least done a Trevor Lawrence-type situation there. But And who knows? I mean, Justin Fields may play Wisconsin here in a couple of weeks and turn the football over a bunch, but that was ugly on Saturday. had a buddy of mine send me a message that says Highway 63 was uh, what you spent a lot of time on. That sounds right. It's like you went around uh, Bono, went through Sedgwick, maybe were able to bypass Hoxie, right through the middle of Porsche, spent a few minutes in uh, Imboden and a little time in Ravenden before you uh, meandered your way through Ozark Acres and Hardy, Hardy, Arkansas. There's a river there. Okay. Case in point. Beautiful area, Hardy, Arkansas. Uh, it's a nice little downtown spot. Then headed north. All the way up to Mammoth Spring. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, here we go. Ceasefire text line. All the talk all week. Tennessee had no chance. Maybe in other places that was the talk. Then, well, they whipped state up front on both sides of the ball. Tennessee has a chance to win six games this year. Not bad after an awful start. So the question is, does Tennessee have a chance to win six games this year? They are currently... Two and four, right? Correct. Two and four with wins over Chattanooga and Mississippi State. So what's the route to six for Tennessee? They have a game coming up against Alabama. That is not one of their wins. That's two and five. South Carolina. You giving them a win there? We'll see about Holinsky's health. It didn't look good on Saturday. So that could potentially be three. UAB. Be careful just chalking that up as a win, but could potentially be four. At Kentucky could be five. At Missouri, I don't see it. Vanderbilt is atrocious. You're right. There's a route to six there. But that means they're going to have to beat South Carolina. They're going to have to beat UAB. And they're going to have to win at Kentucky. You know, did Kentucky find a little something with Lynn Bowden at quarterback? He's athletic. He ran it for like 160 was okay throwing the ball. I mean, that's kind of how they ran their offense a year ago, right? They had no threat in the passing game and won 10 games last year. Different circumstances because they had an NFL running back and uh, an exceptional rookie pass rusher, but uh, still, I mean, that was the formula last year. Yeah. Uh, Gavin in Starkville, how was the crowd in Como? Said it was a sold out. Uh, 62,621. Yes, they did announce a sellout. I think Monday of last week they had like 500 tickets left. They sold all of them. So technically all the tickets were sold. Um, mostly full. It wasn't a sellout actually, but mostly. I mean, all, all the tickets may have been sold. Was every seat taken in the stadium? No. It was a good crowd. Uh, homecoming, which apparently originated at the University of Missouri. Like the first ever homecoming that anybody had was at Missouri. How many schools do you think claim that? Well, I don't know, but Missouri does. They had a really large homecoming parade 
on Saturday morning. Tailgating was started here. <laughs> How many schools claim that? I don't know. The players walking from a, uh, a pre-appointed place to the stadium allegedly was started here as well. Can find it in the only Columbia in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Um, LSU, Florida. Is that the most entertaining game of the season, Borky? Ooh, ooh, that's a really good question. Uh, so far. Pro- probably LSU, Texas was more entertaining than this one, I think. Okay. Although the atmosphere was better. And we didn't get to it, just we just ran out of time. But I think Kyle Trask showed a lot, even in a loss. I mean, they were up 28-21 in the third quarter, weren't they? I didn't watch any of this, unfortunately. I went back and watched some of it last night. Um, it was seven apiece at the end of the first half, 21 apiece at the end of the second quarter. LSU led 35-28 going into the fourth quarter and scored the only fourth quarter touchdown, won it 42-28. Um, what was it? Like LSU's defense couldn't get a stop, and then all of a sudden they got stops on four consecutive possessions, I think it was? Yeah, and that, that's how the game ended. Dan Mullen's red zone inside of the 10 play calling was suspect in that one. Kyle Trask was 23 of 39 for 310 yards and three touchdowns. Played Emory Jones a little bit. Joe Burrow, 21 of 24, 293 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and he had 43 yards rushing. Yeah, legit Heisman contender, without a doubt. I I mean, I keep looking ahead to LSU-Alabama because I think those are the only two teams on their schedules that, that can beat the other. But neither defense is particularly impressive. I know they both have athletes and NFL guys on the field, but relatively speaking, for what we think of those two programs, neither defense is very good in relation to how they have been. That might be a 57-55 type game. Because it doesn't look like either defense is going to stop the other one's offense. I was going to say, I don't care who wins that game, really, but I'd love to see that game played in the 40s. It's very possible. I think it it could be. Uh, Just a quick peek at the numbers, the quarterback numbers between Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. Burrow? It won't be at night on CBS. They apparently can only do that once a year. I saw somebody that covers LSU tweeted that earlier. And they've already used that? Uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, Georgia was night game. That's right. Um, Joe Burrow, 377 yards per game. And that's total offense. He's throwing at 359.5 per game, 25 touchdowns, three interceptions, 2,157 yards through six games. Tua Tagovailoa averaging 335 per game, 27 touchdowns, and one interception. Which of those two would you rather have as your quarterback? Oh, man, what a question. And people people will turn their nose up at it. Oh, it's Tua. It's definitely Tua. Is it, though? Because now that you've seen what Joe Burrow can do when provided the right system to operate, he's accurate. He's got a big arm, stands in the pocket, tough, probably a little too tough. Maybe he needs to protect himself some. But what does he – or what does Tua do that he has not shown that he can do so far this year? 
this probably more athletic. Off, this is strictly off eye test, but I know Burrow's completing a ridiculous amount of passes as far as percent, percentage-wise. I can't talk today, but it seems like Tua has slightly more arm talent. Like, there's more throws where you're like, wow, how did he do that? Now, granted, I haven't been able to watch LSU, but I may have only watched no, that's LSU prob- That's probably fair. But it's splitting hairs. Like, your point is well stated. And, and, and how about this? Both of them have got uh, plenty of targets. Jamar Chase leads the SEC 115 yards per game, eight touchdowns. Justin Jefferson, second in the SEC, 112 yards per game, eight touchdowns. Devontae Smith, third in the SEC, 106 yards per game, nine touchdowns. Jerry Judy, fourth in the SEC, 90 yards per game, six touchdowns. Terrence Marshall for LSU, seventh in the SEC, 76 yards per game, six touchdowns. Is there a way Burrow goes, excuse me, Tua goes to the NFL and has a worse receiving core by the team he's drafted by? I think it's very possible. Absolutely. And don't you think Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy are both first-rounders? Yeah, that'd be kind of a bummer. <laughs> and that doesn't even you know, figure in Ruggs or Waddell. Ooh, nice pronunciation there. Did I get it wrong? Isn't it Waddle? It is Waddle, isn't it? It can be Waddell if you want it to. I don't think anybody will be mad about that. What does Hey Dad call the Missouri coach? Quanzo Martin. Kinzai? <laughs> Bonsai Martin or something yeah. like that. Bonsai Martin. <laughs> Who was the outfielder for Ole Miss that had the pronunciation change uh, that Glenn Waddle made French? Uh, Deshaun. Cameron Deshaun. <laughs> I forgot. I, and I, forgot. Then, I was originally thinking of Bossfield and Bousfield, but that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's <laughs> a great call. I'd forgotten about that. Um, other games from the weekend in the SEC: Alabama over A and M, forty-seven to twenty-eight. Two of his numbers were good, as you would expect: twenty-one of thirty-four, two ninety-three, four touchdowns. He finally threw an interception, first time this year. What happens if A and M's an eight-win team next year? Isn't that start to be money not well spent? Yeah. Because next year's the year that they've had circled. Yeah, but it's still going to be the same players. And I get they're a year older, but like, is it really going to be that big of a leap? So where does their improvement have to happen? They get, they've got to get a horse in the backfield. I've watched zero A&M games this year. So I think oh, it's the quarterback position. Yeah, I was about to ask that. Kellamon's going to be a senior next year. Is he going to get unseated by a hotshot freshman? Who is it? I don't know. I mean, A&M is, you know, all, all the accounts are A&M is recruited at a really high level. My guess is that the focus for A&M has to be in the, at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. They've got to become, if you're going to win the SEC, you got to be dominant at the line of scrimmage. You just do. They've got a kid, a four-star kid named Haynes King is a dual threat committed. Out of some high school in Texas, I would guess. Longview, Texas. I, I could have made up that name and it would have sounded more Texas, or wouldn't have sounded more Texas. Um, appears like he's the only quarterback in the class, I think, so far. 601-879-4395. Quinn says he hopes that the Saints grab Joe Burrow. 
Borky hit the nail on the head. What system are you running? Last year it would be Tua. This year the system Burrow is in shows his talent. Made the same point about Hurts. Text line says thinks we'll see LSU and Florida again in the SEC championship game. That would be fun. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad, I had to split a little bit early today. You can text the show, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Greg and Nettleton, if you're going to win anything in the SEC, you're going to have to win at the line of scrimmage. Just watch in Stunk Vegas Saturday. <laughs> Jeez. This could get ugly quick. We'll see. Is State that bad up front, though? Is that really the issue? On both sides of the ball. Okay. Phys- physicality is, is a huge problem for them. I listened to part of Hey Dad's podcast upon Borky's recommendation today, and Hey Dad was talking about them being soft. Like, or I, I don't want to put words into Hey Dad's mouth. He threw the concept around as if they seem softer than Mullins' teams, if I remember correctly. They yeah, get physically no, beat up up front. Well, I mean, he, he, I think the point that, that Hey Dad was making on Thunder and Lightning, if you've not listened to it, you can, um, wherever you get your podcasts and online at supertalk.fm. The point that he was making was that one of the hallmarks of Dan Mullen teams at Mississippi State was they were absolutely physical. That they were tough and physical and hard-nosed, especially at the line of scrimmage. And I think part of what they were talking about was having some former players coming out on Twitter talking about that's not the way we play football at Mississippi State. Um, so it's not just an isolated opinion. you got a bunch of former players that are pointing to that fact as well. Some that played for um, Dan Mullen, some that played for Joe Moorhead. But anyway. Um, nationally on Saturday. Clemson 45-14 over Florida State. Five wins in a row in that series. The distance between those two programs for considering where they were to where they are now. I mean, Borky, if, if you fell asleep in 2006 and woke up now and somebody tried to tell you that Clemson was the best team in the country or one of the three best teams in the country and Florida State was not a top 25 team, they'd look at you like you had three eyes. You wouldn't believe it. <coughs> it it's, it's a testament, one, to the job that Dabo's done. and uh, I mean... Jimbo Fisher left them in a mess, and Willie Taggart struggling to pull them out of it, sure, but um, it's not all his fault. Not even close. I mean, we talked about a few weeks, or right before the season, how Florida State last year had five offensive linemen that graded as the number 560th offensive lineman in college football or worse. There was only 900 of them. Three of them were in the 800s. I mean, the worst offensive line in college football was left for Willie Taggart. It was not all his fault what's going on there. And now, I I guess we're going to look even more at it this week with Jimbo Fisher, but that was kind of his doing. Makes you wonder. I wonder if coaches don't... Actually, I don't know this. I wonder if coaches spend enough time doing that. Like, Florida State job's a Florida State job, but like... Do any coaches look at like what's left in the program and be like, Ugh. 
that's going to take a while, and I'm going to get blamed for stuff that's not my fault. Talking about when they take a job? Yeah. To me, the the best example of a school, not a coach, but a school, when trying to hire a coach, saying, we've got a mess, and it's going to take a while, is Baylor when they hired Matt Rule. Didn't he They may have up- had the biggest mess ever. But when they went and got him, they handed him a seven-year contract, and they've already extended it. Baylor's undefeated, by the way. And didn't Was he there say in that between pre- he and Browse? I can't remember. No. Yeah, they brought in Jim Grobe for a year as an interim, former Wake Forest coach, to be just kind of like the the steady the ship guy for a year. I'm sorry, Borky. Go John ahead. John L. Smith. Uh, I was just going to add to the Matt Rule thing. Didn't he say in like his opening press conference that? This is going to take a while. You need to have patience with me because we're not going to win right away. Didn't he say that just out front? If you expect me to win this season, sorry, it's not happening. Uh, I don't know if he said that in his opening press conference or not. He may have. May very well have. Somewhere I'm, it, I'm early quite certain on he said, said that, that in his interview, though. Yeah. So, uh, But no, that's not the case very often. Um. And I think that's part of the frustration also. You know, the, the flip side of that is Dan Mullen leaving to go to Florida and Mississippi State fans looking at it with Joe Moorhead coming in and going, hang on a second, you inherited a good team. You inherited a good roster. You inherited a good situation. And then promptly went 8-5, and five, and now you're sitting at 3-3. Three and three. And that's where the frustration lies for Mississippi State fans and you can't blame them for that. Not at all. It's it's well-founded frustration. That program should not have gone eleven and eight in its first nineteen games. Just should not have happened. Where it was where it was when it was taken over should not have happened that way. Yeah. Historically, it's it's fine for Mississippi State. They win eight games. That's good for the history of the program. But history is only it in this context doesn't matter at all. Uh, okay, so Tim's text message is timely. He said, "I know the Mississippi coach, State coach is struggling, but we used to give a new coach four to five years to build a program." I'm not a state fan, and times have changed. And this is the SEC. Money's got a lot to do with that. You're right; it does. I mean, college football was simpler when coaches made two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. You used to get four four years guaranteed. Yes. Everybody gets four years guaranteed on their contract now. Well, yeah, but I meant like you got four seasons to. Sure. Well, isn't and you it... had to be pretty bad to be not get a fifth, did you not? Yeah, generally speaking. But the talk on on firing Joe Moorhead is not rooted in reality, right? I mean, barring an epic collapse, which I don't expect, it, it just the message that that would send in the hiring process for the next guy, you can take over a program in the SEC West that has the least amount of resources in the division. And then you can lose your extremely productive quarterback and basically your entire defense save two guys. Three of them were first-rounders. And your two's not going to go as well for you and we're going to fire you. That message that that sends in the coaching world, I don't think... I think that does more damage than letting a coach that may not be the right fit coaching for one more season. I understand what you're saying, and I disagree with all of it. Okay. 
For, for, for two reasons. One, the job pays three or four million dollars I mean, a year. Yeah, you'll find no, no, somebody. Sorry. I, I know. Sorry. That, that, that's the first part. And the second part is, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, so forgive me. You just did this two years ago on the heels of Dan Mullen, and you hired Joe Moorhead, who was an offensive coordinator to. So you tell me you can't go out and hire an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator from a Power 5 job to come be a head coach in the SEC regardless of the situation or the optics? I don't agree with that. I think you can do that uh, 365 days out of the year. To add on to how things have changed, Ed Orgeron went 3-8, and 4-8, and 3-9, and nine, and if he doesn't have the meltdown in the second half in Starkville in 07, doesn't he probably get another year? I was set, I was 12 I guess I was 11 at the time, so I don't know the ins and outs of that. But wouldn't you? Wouldn't the senses he may get one more year if the 20, 2007 Egg Bowl doesn't happen? Yes, he would not have been fired if not for that. That's well, nowadays that you wouldn't stand a chance. You're right. There would be no question about it. He he probably would have been not fired midseason, but the word would have been out he wasn't back. What four games into that 2007 year? Text message says you get four to five years when you show competence. When you don't show any, you get fired in year two. I don't think that's fair, though. Joe Joe Moorhead is he's not incompetent. He, I think he's pretty good offensive mind, but I don't think what he's trying to do offensively has worked. I mean, he said today in his press conference, he says, look, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now if I had, one, not had some success and two, didn't have a great deal of confidence in what I'm trying to do. Maybe that success doesn't translate to the SEC West, Mississippi State in particular. Maybe the system that he has confidence in is not right, but let's not pretend like Joe Moorhead is dumb. Because he's not. Well, and I think it would be a mistake for Mississippi State to fire him after two years. And I don't think that that's what John Cohen is going to do. I don't, I don't think that John Cohen is reactionary. Now, well, if, if in year three, season ticket sales plummet and they don't perform on the field, well, could be a different story at the end of next season. Could be an entirely different story at the end of next season. And let's not undersell the importance of the Egg Bowl. That game is going to be crucial for both head coaches this year. If it's, I know it always is to some degree, but this year that's probably personified given the way the two programs are going. And I don't mean they're going in the same direction. I just mean they each. it matters each for different reasons. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll give you the timeout lounge sportsbook. It's- A Super Talk Mississippi media production. 